It's just this extra tool. So if this way of thinking could infiltrate all different types of fields in terms of learning, in terms of communicating, in terms of health, then we're, we're looking at the whole child because it's not just this top-down approach and thinking about what's the brain doing, but also like what is happening in our body? How are we perceiving our environment in terms of our sensory system? How are we moving through the world and how our movement, even our postures affect our relationships? Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parent-raising differently-wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today's guest is a licensed clinical psychologist and board-certified dance movement therapist, Dr. Lori Baldino. Dr. Baldino provides therapeutic support to assist parents in understanding, handling, and accepting the challenges of parenting and the complexities of a developing child. She specializes in supporting children identified with special needs, including those with learning disabilities, early life traumas, academic, behavior, or emotional challenges, children on the autism spectrum, and those with chronic acute illnesses. In our conversation, we talk about the mind-body connection and how teaching differently wired kids to tap into this relationship and learn how to understand their body's unique language can be a valuable tool as they learn to regulate their emotions, better understand social communication, and more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And before I get to the episode, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Stephanie Brooks, a new supporter of the podcast. Thank you so much for helping me cover the production cost, Stephanie, for the show and also helping me get those transcriptions made for every single episode. If you want to join Stephanie in helping me, please consider supporting my Patreon campaign. Patreon is an online platform that allows people to make a small monthly contribution to support the work of artists and musicians and even podcasters. It's super easy to sign up. Just visit patreon.com slash tiltparenting, or you can find a link on the Tilt Parenting website. Thank you so much for considering supporting the show. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Bodino. Hi, Dr. Bodino. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation and talk about movement and our differently wired kids. It's a kind of a new conversation to be bringing to the podcast. And I think it's going to be really valuable for our listeners. And before we get into the work that you do specifically and how this is going to really help the parents in our community, I'd love to hear more about your story. I always like to hear from my guests about their personal why and what drew them to the work that they do. So could you tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are? Yes, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and a board certified dance movement therapist, and I'm also a mom. I have an integrative approach to health in that I support all children from ages 0 to 18, whether it's sensory um, differences, neuro differences, children on the spectrum. I also work with children with anxiety and also just those, those typical parenting challenges, but not just by talking and hearing concepts, but actually um, supporting the idea of embodying practices and connection. Um, to do this, um, it just always seemed to make sense to me that this idea that illness and challenges and experiences happen in the body. So to me, it's like, what better way than to look at the body as a means of, of helping people to connect and um, to be better? And can you tell us about your personal why for doing this work? 
So my personal why, when I think about, um, I was that child that tap danced my book reports and played basketball to learn to count and just found creative ways to find meaning in learning. And so to me, using the body always just makes sense to me. And it gave me this um, passion for supporting other children to feel connected in their learning, to be able to express and have that emotional vocabulary to connect with parents and other peers, and just this whole mind, body, and spirit approach. I, I was always kind of that creative kid that was looking, <laughs> thinking outside the box um, and finding that I truly believe to this day, even having my own kids, that children are so capable and competent, and it's about finding that wonderment and curiosity to explore and experience that really brings about those connections. Well, I have to say this idea of movement as a field or as a as something like an activity even that you could do with kids was something I had never heard of until my son was in preschool. That was one of the extra things, you know, they brought in a movement instructor. Eric was his name. And he came in once a week and he worked with all the kids. And it was fascinating to me. It was just something I never even crossed my mind, you know, because it just wasn't part of my experience as a child. And and it seemed like a kind of a new thing. Is it something that's becoming more, you know, more known or or used among kids? Well, as a as a field, the dance movement therapy field has been around for over 50 years as this modality of looking at the mind, body, and spirit and how we express emotional and psychological needs through our bodies. And so, you know, I think that now children in our schools are really learning more about mindfulness and awareness. And this is awareness and mindfulness doesn't mean sitting still. It actually means moving and being um, being able to communicate and be aware of what we our needs are. And so, you know, when we think about children having more opportunities to engage, and then this piece, my my work is really looking at it in terms of how to help child and parent or care provider or academic teachers um, understand that there's this constant nonverbal communication that's going on between people and that we should pay attention to it. Interesting. So there's a strong connection then with social intelligence or social emotional intelligence, so just awareness of other people as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And kind of taking away the um, labels that we put on people and really looking at it as a means of like a movement process that if you, for example, if the child is instead of being aggressive, they're moving with quick, direct, strong movements, then we can give them awareness of those choices and then they can be able to shift and change them. Or just how we meet our child every day. What does our posturing look like? What are our facial expressions look like? And it really impacts our relationship. That's so interesting. So I want to kind of take a a step back and talk about just this idea of body knowledge. Can you give us, you know, a definition of what that is and maybe through some examples, show us why it is such an important thing for differently wired kids in particular to develop? Absolutely. So body knowledge is something that I developed based on this idea, this modality of dance movement therapy in that um, body knowledge, I define it as this awareness of how the body holds emotional, physical, and psychological experiences, and further, how the recognition of our body and its movements may promote integration within the body. So when we think about how we move, we are moving internally, you know, like heart rate and blood flow and, and breathing and eye movements. So some of those internal or more 
intimate movements that we do, when we also are moving between our relationships with each other in terms of our postures, how we hold a child, how we interact with our gestures, and then also in, in relationship to our environment. Um, so the idea is that the more kids are able to understand their body movements, like for instance, what happens in the body right before they lose attention or when a feeling comes over them, what happens in their body? And conversely, with a parent, when we get triggered, we talk about triggers in parenting, like when we get activated by our child, we actually experience that through our body and then we actually emote it outwards. Um, so when we talk about it in therapy, it's not just about talking about it. We actually can embody it for more control and more ability to change it or to say, hey, I like this way of moving. I'm going to keep it. Um, a lot of our disconnects between people, between peers, is that there's different qualities of movement. So maybe someone's moving really quick and the other person's moving really slow. So that's like a minimizing way of saying that. Um, but we want to see that when we are integrated, there's this even flow going back and forth. That, that there's this dance that goes back and forth and this reciprocity. Um, the other part I tend to say is that when we think about children, especially children that have those sensory differences or neuro differences, we're looking at these differences between chaos and rigidity. So if you think about a child who's having a tantrum, it's quite chaotic in their movements. So helping them be aware of it, as well as us, uh, the care providers, being aware of their movements helping them to see how each part could be separate and then how it's linked together to have control over their movements gives them more opportunity to, to change that sensation, to change that tantrum kind of chaotic behavior. And on the flip side, if we look at rigidity, a child who is very rigid and set in their ways, um, that movement, that looks like a movement profile as well. So it's really bringing this knowledge to that this body is constantly communicating. And so we won't, don't want to just talk about it and read about it. We actually want to understand it from a body perspective as well. So I'm so curious to know what that actually looks like in terms of how you work with kids to help them make that connection. I mean, I know for so many of us who have kids that do have, you know, the really big intense emotions and, you know, that was certainly part of something we were, you know, when Asher was younger was trying to help him recognize in his body what it feels like when he's ramping up and moving into the yellow zone or a zone, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. That, and, and, you know, I remember at the time, you know, when he was six, seven, I was like, gosh, these are such most adults I know don't know how to do this, you know, how to recognize when they're, when they're about to flip their lid or, or go to the dark side. So how, how do you do that work with kids? What does it actually look like? Yeah, so the, the wonderful thing for me is that the approach is very individualized. It's really in the moment working with that child. So any given session could look quite different. And I think that really allows for a big um, expansion of, of support. So it may look like just when the child is in the moment with the parent and they are moving, helping a parent be aware of the lead up to it. So, you know, the tensing of the muscles, um, looking at how the quality of the movement, so moving, how they're going from moving slowly to quick and direct and strong. Um, so it might just be talking about that and bringing awareness to it. It might be taking away those labels and saying, rather than let's say our child's being lazy or they're procrastinating, but really helping them see that there's this quality being there. So that's like the first piece. Um, then one of the ways I do um, this work is helping children activate their sensory system. So I call them our sensory superpowers. 
children love having superpowers. And it's really giving them ideas of how to access other senses. So if noise is really flooding them and feeling really full, we can activate our sensory eyes and really pay attention with our eyes about what we see and the sound starts to dissipate. So we might be exploring different senses. Um, And again, it's not just talking about it, but actually doing activities where we're engaging in these, these movement qualities. Oftentimes in my session, it might be that we're talking about perspective taking and how the parent can understand the child, let's say, and the child can understand the parent. And we might do some movement explorations and the parent might say what they felt when the child was moving and the child might reveal a story very differently. So we can see that we don't always read each other accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it also might look like that very play-based approach where you're joining the child at their level in terms of the play and mirroring and following them, but also adding in that we can amplify the movement and make it bigger for the child, or we can minimize it and make it smaller and engage the child. So everything is very active. We're not just talking. Um, but I do love, you know, we are talking about flipping the lid. I love talking about the neuroscience and understanding the brain. And then I just might also play with it. We might use um, our own bodies to move like we are in the red zone and move like we are in the blue zone and and in the green zone. We might use dolls and characters, but we're really physical. We're really um, engaging and embodying it in practice. We'll be right back after this quick break. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. 
And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com tilt for 25% off. I'm curious to know if you can explain kind of an example of maybe what the work might look like or, or maybe a former client that you worked with when they were younger and how their own knowledge of the integration and that body awareness, the mind-body awareness helps them or has helped them when they're older. Like, what does it look like in an older kid who's been able to do this work when they're younger and make those connections? Oh, so many stories um, <laughs> to think of them. So yeah, with the wonderful thing about the older kids is the movement can have this parallel process to what they're going through. So, you know, when they were younger, they might have been talking and exploring, you know, when a feeling comes up and they're feeling overwhelmed by their environment. Now they're able to look around and see that the noise is going to become overwhelming. So they might make active choices like coping strategies to shift their body or pay attention to those other senses. Um, They also may find outlets for creating movement routines. So one of the things we might do in our sessions is we take a journey. So we do a movement journey where we're, it looks like a warm up. We're kind of moving each part of the body and all of a sudden it starts to look like something. Maybe we're walking, maybe we're flying, maybe we're going somewhere. And all of a sudden the child will start telling a story with their body. So it actually looks like we're kind of role playing and we're moving. And that story that will come up will mimic what their experiences are. So it goes from this more behavioral kind of looking at a uh, very direct approach into this more abstract thinking and kind of forming this, these con- concepts of have had a link, what they're feeling to what's happening in their life. So the stories might be, you know, they feel like they're walking and they feel stuck. And then they might be able to talk then at an older age about how it feels similar to their life and feeling stuck in their treatment or stuck in their situation at school. Um, So the concepts kind of keep expanding. Um, In terms of younger kids with their parents, I'm hearing that parents feel like they're really understanding their child and they're able to get there and meet their child from a body level, which then helps them get out the door to transition to school, um, helps them get out of the headspace of like getting annoyed and frustrated and more so feeling really like able to connect and engage. So it's, I guess what I'm hearing is that, and this is probably like my audience is going to be like a duh, Debbie, but what I'm hearing is that really the body is another tool. Like it becomes, it is an extension of ourselves, but it becomes a tool that can be used to help re-regulate ourselves, to really tune in with what's going on, as well as recognize what's happening with other people. So once we know how to use that tool, then it just becomes this really powerful part of our toolbox that we can move through the world with. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't mean to be vague in the descriptions. It's just, there's so many different versions of the work. And the most important part is just what you said is that it's just this extra tool. So if this way of thinking could infiltrate all different types of fields in terms of learning, in terms of communicating, in terms of health, then we're, we're looking at the whole child. 
because it's not just this top-down approach and thinking about what's the brain doing, but also like what is happening in our body? How are we perceiving our environment in terms of our sensory system? How are we moving through the world and how our movement, even our postures affect our relationships? And so, you know, when I'm talking to a child or a parent, it's not just talking about it. It's really noticing for them. Like, do you notice when you're talking about this, your shoulders change or your face, you know, frowns, there's this tension in your relationship when you're interacting with your child. And how do we get there to be an even flow back and forth and like an authentic flow? You know, sometimes there's this, I constantly in my work see these um, extremes of parenting styles and this idea of like, Peaceful parenting can seem so far to one side sometimes. It's beautiful. And it's also needed that middle place of that just right fit, that goodness of fit, where you know when to go in and when to come out, which is just like a dance. You know, when to set those boundaries and expectations and when to pull back and let them kind of explore on their own. And when you can do this from a body place, you kind of drop out of your head and you're just really connected to the child. Right. Well, so, and is part of this also kind of helping kids learn how to, you know, tune in with their, their intuition, for lack of a better word, or just, you know, I think so many of us want our kids to know how to trust their gut, you know, about a situation, or if something is an unsafe environment, is that part of the work you do as well? Absolutely. I, I love the gut <laughs> the gut work. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just giving them an opportunity to say that their words are constantly being communicated. I think that's one of the biggest parts is that they're always telling us information. It's just that oftentimes we don't see it unless they're, they use their words. And so it's, it's letting them know that you are seen and then there are words to go with that of what you're doing. But that, that they are able to say, hey, when I'm moving like this, when I'm pulling away, when I'm going towards something, when I'm quickening my speed, this is all meaningful and it deserves attention. Um, and then they get to really be aware of what's happening in them. Like, wow, I, I felt that come over me. I felt my body tense up and I can change it. I, I wasn't a bad kid. I just got really fast and really direct when I was really too close to the other child. I needed to have more space. I needed to be aware of my surroundings when I moved that way. And so there's less of a judgment and more opportunity for that kind of growth mindset, that, that effort that's put into it to say like, you know, you, your intentions are understood. And then of course you can be held accountable if you, if you need to check in and you made a, you know, if you, you know, bumped into someone, um, but also that you can be understood. So the child feels really seen. Um, And then also we just know that learning, it's not just learning on one side of the scale and then emotions on the other and then the body on the other. It's all together. And we know we learn so well when we are embodying learning, when we're actually physically learning. Yeah. So again, it's just that extra piece of just paying attention to it. Um, So everything I do is I can't help but look at the body. Yeah. I mean, as you're saying that, it, you know, I'm thinking of articles I've read where people can retain, well, even just taking notes, right? Taking notes by hand, you retain the information more than if you're typing it. That's a more active mind-body thing going on. And I know walking while listening to a class is better than maybe sitting still or, so it's super interesting. I'm curious to know specifically about kids with sensory processing issues, because that's where, you know, when we first connected, that was where I instantly was thinking, because so many of our kids with SPD are doing OT or they're, they're having proprioception challenges or they are 
hyposensitive or, you know, sensory seeking. And do you work with a lot of kids with sensory issues or what types of neurodiversity shows up in your clients? Absolutely. I, I, it is one of my most common challenges that I see or differences that I see is the sensory processing differences, the neuro differences that looks like, you know, whether the child has a high IQ and then social emotional challenges. So you see that huge discrepancy brings about challenges. Um, the sensory system, I do collaborate with occupational therapy centers and I truly value the work that they do um, and seeing such incredible leaps with children in terms of being able to modulate their sensory system in order to pay attention, to sustain school. You know, it's just incredible. And so I, I very much collaborate in that approach of knowing those techniques, knowing the primitive reflexes and knowing strategies for helping a child within the classroom or at home. Um, and then this, my piece is just added to that. It's really looking at the emotional side of it. So not just the physical and how we get through our tasks during the day, but finding that meaningful motivation to get the task done. Um, so it would be looking at what is the child interested? How do we explore when the feelings come over them? How the system shifts during that time? You know, when, when to understand whether it's a behavior um, so they've kind of, their body is regulated in calm and, and alert, and they are making an active choice to avoid a non-preferred task. That would be more behavioral side. And we could look at the emotion side to see like, how can they find meaning in what they're doing? Um, how can they understand what the expectations are versus when that, that sensory system comes in, which I always call it, it's like when the the pitcher of water has overflowed and you can't get it back in. Mm. You know, to me, it's about helping the parents see that they, the child loses a lot of eye contact when the behavior is happening. It's not like they're looking at you and testing. They're really kind of overflowed. And then we have to look at the body and do, um, you know, getting on their eye level and helping them feel seen and soothed and secure um, just to get their system ready. And then we can use our words and help them problem solve. But it is about understanding timing. I use a lot of work with parents about timing. You know, they might be using a lot of words, but maybe they have to slow down. Maybe they have to um, quicken their, their pace in terms of their meeting their child. Um, and so it's looking at different qualities of how they're interacting. And, you know, again, adding that emotional piece to it. So we used games and we used toys and symbolic play and then movement stories, we use sports activities, um, just different ways to understand the emotional side to it, like their, their feelings. Do you ever work with kids who are reluctant to, you know, maybe they are uncomfortable in their body and so dancing or other types of movement things just uh, something that they would normally want to avoid or they're reluctant to explore that with you? Yeah, it's a, it's a constant, um, yes, I was going to say, it's a constant theme that comes up as as using this modality because everyone hears the word dance and they think, oh, you must be teaching dance. And um, so I first like steer away from the traditional idea of dance. I, I do love dance. I grew up as a dancer um, and it's so valuable and beautiful. While um, I define the work as movement, which is the universal language. So it's when the child hears that movement is what they're doing right there and then when they're turning away, when I give attention to that and say, I'm noticing you're looking away from me. And I say, I'm just going to join you and I'm going to sit like you. And we start moving together. There's this, this nonverbal dialogue that happens and they don't have to be expected to do something. 
So the old, like that fear is taken away. So I'm not asking them to perform for me. I'm not asking them to do a certain exercise five times. I'm just bringing their attention to that. We're having a dialogue with our body. And then when we're ready, we'll use our words. We'll bring in words to it. Some kids come in talking nonstop. <laughs> and then I have to let them know, hey, I'm, I'm hearing your words, but I'm seeing your body is looking down or you're holding your you know, posture this way. And even just, you know, I'm using words because we're, we're talking on this podcast, but when I'm, when I'm showing it in my posturing and how I'm sitting and how I'm responding to them, everything's so in- intentional, they feel supported and seen. And I can't make up the stories. These children come up with the most incredible conversations through their body. And they have this dialogue, whether you know, they're frustrated and something's going on and they're really kicking at their shirt or, you know, their fingers. And I'm talking about how they have control over those fingernails, even though they might not have control over what's going on. Everything they're doing is intentional. And then it's like helping the parent. It, it, it's almost, um, it brings joy and it's, it's silly sometimes that the parent having to slow down and follow their child lead, really move like the child, the parent will ultimately want to take over and have the child do it their way. And so you see that dynamic going back and forth. And again, the child just opens up. It feels less intrusive. It's innate. They're constantly communicating with their body. Um, So it's actually, in my experience of it, sometimes more easier than talking. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. In my mind, I'm going off in a little bit of a different direction, but I'm just so curious, um, you know, with so many of our kids who who express their emotions in, you know, what would be considered an inappropriate way, um, or, you know, maybe sometimes a dangerous way using their body, whether it's hitting or slamming or whatever it is. I'm just thinking of a guest I had on last year, Anders uh, Ronow, who's a ADHD coach. And we had this really interesting conversation about how he helps his young clients separate you know, the hand, the hand that was doing this, the hand that was hitting was kind of outside or a different part, you know, it wasn't you, it wasn't fused with you, it was the hand that did that. And I'm just curious, how do you kind of approach kids who are being more aggressive with their bodies? Do you, you know, some, some therapists talk about this separate entity or a separate being that's, that's the angry side of a child? Like, what does that look like in your work? Yeah, I can think of a couple of situations where, you know, first and foremost, it's it's the safety is important. So I do set the precedence of, you know, letting them know that this is a safe environment and we're not harming ourselves or others, you know, kind of going through that script. While at the same time, the therapy look, space, whether it's in the home where the events are happening or in my office, um, it's, it is allowing them a space to move in that quality. And so, if they are moving with this hitting or harmful way, we can um, look to move in in different parts of our body. So we take it from our hands and we might put it in our feet. We might really stomp. We might really move our heads quite, you know, actively. So giving the child an ability to focus on the qualities of what it looks like and then shift it into different body parts, we then might shift it outside of our body into other surfaces. So rather than hitting ourselves, we're hitting a drum, we're hitting the floor, and really engaging together, we might be pressing against one another. And then ultimately, we want to shift the quality. So if we're using a lot of force, we might shift to being more slow and sustained and light. And, and naturally, our body has this beautiful repressement, this beautiful, you know, reparative way of kind of working itself up and then recovering and slowing down. Um, and so in a safe environment, you get to build up on it and then it lets itself like slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that comes up for me is with pain. Uh, when I work with children with chronic pain or terminal illness kind of work, often we try to go away from it and say like, don't feel the pain or, you know, let's not think about that bad part of you that's being, you know, disruptive or, or hurting. Um, and I have found through children's reports to me that when, when I actually give them permission to go into it and stay with it, Again, with their permission, saying, you know, let's let's really look at what this pain is, or really look at this tension that you're doing and this this hurting. When we can even put more like somatic responses to it, so like, what is the texture? What does it look like? What color is it? What shape is it? How is it moving? All of a sudden, there's this rhythm. It's a stabbing movement. It, it, that pain. All of a sudden, it shifts to a different body part. The child has control over it, and they ultimately tell me it goes away. 
And they also communicate and their parents communicate that they felt like they were finally seen. Like it wasn't fake. They weren't faking it. It was real pain or it was real frustration or it was real anger. And they just feel really accepted. And I found that so interesting because so often in, you know, when I look at other types of therapies, there is this idea of like, let's try to go away from it. Let's use distraction. Let's try to go away. But every time these children are telling me how much it supported them to have control over it. Super interesting. Um, so I know that you work with a lot of different types of clients and in schools and people's homes and, and in your offices. For listeners who who are really um, interested in exploring this more in their own homes, you know, do you have any initial tips or advice uh, for parents that they could start playing with this at home? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned it before, but just thinking about how mindfulness is being integrated in our school systems and our, you know, our social world is just to, just to know that mindfulness awareness can be movement. Um, so finding opportunities to move with your child, it seems so simple, but we do a lot of talking. We do a lot of asking questions. How was your day? Tell me about this. Um, but just finding ways that we can actually move together, having a back and forth when you, when you first greet your child at the end of the day, making some physical contact, playing some type of nonverbal movement game is a wonderful way to start that connection. Kind of, I see it as like that passing of the torch. They've been under the, the, the domain of their teachers all day, and now they're coming into your world. So we want to connect physically and through the body and then lead up to that conversation. Also finding opportunity, you know, that common phrase like connect before you redirect. Um, but it's not just connecting like, oh, I see you sitting and playing. You know, that, that's really empathetic to say those words, but actually like getting, sitting down, joining their movements. Are they moving fast? You know, can you move your legs fast with them? Um, just seeing how you can physically connect with them and then say, hey, and now it's time we got to get out the door. Or, you know, if you're saying, my child, I need to get them to do a task, but they won't do it, you know, maybe thinking, considering, could we do it with them? Can we move with them and brush our teeth? Um, can we move together to set the table versus giving directives just through our words and then expecting the child to do it separately? And then any thoughts about, you know, when they're ramping up or, you know, any disadvice about how to help our kids make that connection between what's happening in their in their bodies and their emotional situation or feelings during intense moments? Is it, that's work we do afterwards or during or when we see it first happening? Yeah, so we do want to have that preventative. So hopefully, you know, parents are seeking support to kind of set up their environment to help the child to kind of know when they're going to be overwhelmed or, or ramped up. Um, you know, maybe it's been a stressful day kind of setting them up with that, you know, sensory diet of like, what do they need to come down from the day? But then it's, it's say it's then happening, you know, how can we let the child know with clear boundaries that they're safe and that we're there for them? So I see you. Um, again, it's about using our body in terms of our posture. Are we being bigger than them? Or are we really needing them where they are and kind of noticing our own facial expressions to feel like we're, we're safe? We're not the, you know, we're not the scary person judging them. And then, you know, really seeing how can we get their body moving to kind of transition into the next experience. So revving up doesn't have to be a bad thing. It might not work in that environment, but maybe we can't rev up our whole bodies, but we can rev up our fingers. We can move our toes really fast. 
Um, so giving them opportunities for, you know, I, I love, it's, it's not originally mine, but this is just my go-to. You know, if you're saying no to something, they have to have other options. So we say like those three yeses, like we can't run in here, but we can certainly move our fingers fast. We can certainly, you know, talk really fast. We can certainly, you know, what can they do? We want to give them options. And again, not just with our words, but actual physical activities. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Wow. This has been super interesting. And um, again, such a different topic that we've had on the podcast. And I would love to just make sure people know where to find you and learn more about the work that you do. Um, Can you tell people the best place to connect with you? Absolutely. So my uh, website is my name. So it's doctors, DR, and then lauribadino.com. And I'm also on the social media sites like Facebook and Twitter and uh, all of them. Um, so, and it's Dr. Lori Badino. There's so many now. And then also, um, I'd love to share that I, I did write a book called Super Flyers, a parent guidebook for airplane travel with children. It's on Amazon and at bookstores. Um, it's an opportunity to, to get more strategies uh, specifically about airplane travel with your child, but it, it relates to having this mindset of how to interact with your child, whether in the air or on the ground. That's awesome. That is something I'm sure so many listeners are going to be looking that up. Who does not need help on an airplane with a differently wired child? Absolutely. Yeah. And I love the idea. There's so many metaphors about flying through life and, and life being a journey. So to me, it's like we have this isolated environment in the air. If you can master the skills up there, you can definitely do it on the ground. Uh, So interesting. I love that. Awesome. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for coming by and sharing all this with us. And um, again, super insightful and so relevant to our audience. So thank you so much for coming by. Thanks for having me. And I hope everyone keeps moving. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash Tilt Parenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. 
We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking